And my name is Dave, one of the teaching pastors. And we're talking about our legacy projects. Uh, project, and this is our second and last week to really deal with it in a message, but we're also talking about one of my favorite Bible characters, and his name is Jonah. Now, I want to begin by getting you into the message right away, and so I want to start with asking you a question, and here it is. How would you respond if God himself or an angel of God came to you tomorrow morning in a supernatural, magnificent way, and said to you, I have a mission for you. Will you go where I tell you to go? Yes. Now, I think in our hearts, we would all say, yeah. But I gotta be honest with you, in the Bible, some of the answers weren't so good. Remember, God goes to Moses. He says, Moses, you know your people have been in slavery in Egypt. Of all the people on the earth, I'm going to appoint you to come help me free them. And Moses doesn't say yes. He doesn't say amen. He doesn't say I'm ready to go. Moses says, oh God, don't don't pick me. God, I, I, I have a speech impediment. I'm slow of speech. I don't really speak very well. Uh, pick someone else. Or if you think about Gideon. Here's Gideon. He says, Gideon, God says, I'm going to win a great battle. And I'm going to use you to help me do it. And Gideon says, no, God, I don't know. I don't know if I trust that. I need a sign. So God gives him a sign. That still doesn't work. Gideon says, I need another sign. God gives him another sign. It still doesn't work. And then there's this guy named Jonah. I mean, Jonah, as you're about to see, does this. Watch this. Jonah 1, 1 through 3. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. He says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. So God says, all right, Jonah, I I want you to go to the Assyrians. I want you to go to their capital city of Nineveh. And I want you to tell them I've noticed they're not living the right way. And if they don't change, I'm going to bring judgment to them. Well, you have to understand the context of this to get what God is really asking of Jonah. You see, the Assyrians were the biggest, baddest, most powerful, cutthroat, cruel nation on the planet at that time. That You did not want to be an enemy of the Assyrians because if they went war to you with you or they captured you, they did some of the most barbaric and outlandish things to their enemies in the history of the world. If they didn't cut your head off, they would cut your tongue out. If they didn't cut your tongue out, they would dismember your body. They would fillet you like a fish. If they didn't do that, they would set you on fire while you're alive. Now that's just the G version I can give to you right now. They they were a barbaric, mean-spirited, cruel people. And God says to Jonah, I want you to go talk to them. Well, Jonah hates them. Jonah not only hates them, but he's terrified of them. It would be kind of like this. Let's say it's in the the heat of World War II. It's 1942, and all of you are Jewish rabbis. And God says to one of you, I'm going to choose one of you. You're going to go to Berlin You're going to stand up before Hitler and the, you know, his 
secret service. You're going to stand up before him in the Gestapo, and you're going to say, you either knock this off or God's going to bring judgment. Which one of you want to go? No, you'd say it's a suicide mission. I'm not going. I kind of think that's what Jonah's thinking. I hate these people. I despise these people. I'm terrified of these people. And you want to send me to go confront them in the name of the Lord? God, that's too much to ask. God, I, I don't know if I'm willing to do that. As a matter of fact, Jonah is not willing to do that because here's what he does. But Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Jonah says, I'm out of here. I'm getting out of Dodge as fast as I can. And I'm going to go the opposite direction of God wants me to go. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. So Jonah's not going to go by land. He's going to go by sea, the opposite of what God wants. And so he gets a ticket. He goes on board hoping to escape the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Jonah is running away from God. Jonah is going AWOL. Jonah is a deserter. And and here's why. Because Jonah had a problem with God and the job that God had asked him to do. Jonah didn't think it was fair. Jonah didn't think it was a good idea. Jonah has better ideas. And, And here's the bottom line. Jonah doesn't really trust God. And Jonah certainly doesn't trust God's plan for his life. Do you trust God? Do you trust his plan for your life? You see, the sad reality is Jonah acted like he knew better than God. Now think about this for a minute. Jonah is going to trust his puny brain compared to an all-knowing, all-wise God. Jonah is going to trust his limited power to the God of the universe that has so much unlimited power that he spoke the universe into existence simply with the command of his voice. Jonah is going to trust his timing instead of God's perfect timing. And we are all like Jonah, aren't we? God, I know you have a plan for my life, but if I don't like it, God, i got a backup plan in my pocket. God, I I know you have power. If you call me to do something, God, I know you'll supply the power for me to do this thing you call me to, even if it's really scary. But God, you know what? I'm not going to trust that. I'm going to trust myself and my limited strength and power. And God, I I have a plan for my life. And I have kind of this timetable for for my life. And I'm going to trust my timetable instead of your perfect timing. See how arrogant that is? You see how stupid that is? And yet we're all like him, aren't we? We don't always trust God, and we don't always trust his plan for our lives, especially when he puts us on mission. Do you know that you are on a mission if you know and love Jesus? Do you know that? Because before Jesus ascends to the Father, he puts all of his people on a mission. Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples. The word disciple means followers or pupil or student or apprentice. Go make followers, pupils, or apprentices of Jesus. 
and baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, this literally could be translated this way. As you go to work, help people pursue God. As you go to your neighborhood, tell people about God. As you go to work, influence people for God. You see, as you go about your life, one of the main goals of your life is to be on mission for God. And that's why at Alpine we're so clear that we exist to help people pursue God. We want people to trust God and then honor God and then help other people do the same. So that's our mission. Are you doing your mission or are you like Jonah and you've gone a little AWOL? You, you haven't maybe ran the opposite direction, but maybe you're just avoiding the mission altogether. Maybe you're just hoping that someone else will do what God has asked you to do. But I want to tell you something from the story of Jonah that if you run away from God and God's plan and call for your life, don't be surprised that storms are going to follow those who run away from God. Don't be surprised. See, Jonah is an example of what can happen. See, Jonah gets on the ship, and he's on the ship, and he thinks he's gotten away with it. I think he's feeling elated. I think he's feeling relieved, so much so that a storm breaks out, a violent wind and storm and the waves are raging at such a level that these seasoned sailors think they're going to die. So they start chucking stuff overboard. I'm not a sailor. I don't know why you chuck stuff overboard, but I guess that's what you do. So they start chucking stuff overboard and this guy comes down and there, there is Jonah sleeping. Of course he's sleeping. Life's good. I just ran away from God. I just got away with it. So he says, what are you doing sleeping? We're chucking stuff overboard. Everybody's praying to their gods. You see, in the ancient world, everybody had these little pagan gods, and they're praying to these pagan gods. And he says, we need you to pray to your God. And then he says, Jonah, who is your God? He goes, well, my God is the God who makes the wind and the waves and the storms. And he says, so, so Jonah, we're going to find out who it is who is causing this trouble that the gods are mad at us, and we're going to throw that guy off the ship, right? Now, I'm going to give Jonah a little credit. He goes, don't throw him off the ship. It's my God, and it's me. I'm going to give him a little credit. He says, you need to throw me off the ship, and then you guys are going to be okay. So they do. <laughs> See you, dude. Now here's what I want to share with you a little bit. When we think we know better than God, when we don't trust God's power, we don't trust his knowledge, we don't trust his timing, we take matters into our own hands, we run away from God, we always say, well, my sin is just hurting me. That is just a brutal lie. Do you understand that Jonah's sin not only put his life in danger, but he put the whole crew in danger? That's why I'm talking to this guy, mentoring. He lives in California a couple months ago. And we've been going through this stuff, going through this stuff. And I finally just said, listen, you're, you're a stubborn mule. I, I really like to encourage when I mentor. 
And he says, what do you mean? I said, you are resisting God. You're resisting his plan for your life. You're resisting what he's doing in your life. And because you're resisting God, you are bringing damage and danger to your marriage and to your family. See, when you and I run away from God, don't be surprised when a storm comes. Now, I want to be theologically correct. I am not saying every time a storm breaks out in your life, it is God trying to get your attention because it's not. Sometimes just tough things happen. But there is a time when we're running and God says, the only way I can get your attention is I've got to have a storm come into your life so that you will listen to me because if you keep heading the direction you're heading, it's going to lead to disaster for you and the people you love. So here's the next thing. Sometimes God has to bring a severe mercy into our lives. Now let me explain this concept of a severe mercy. Years ago, about 30 years ago, I read this book with the title Severe Mercy. It's a great Christian book. And it talks about how sometimes God's going to bring some severity in our lives. It's the only way he can get our attention so that, though, here's the heart of God, he can bring mercy into our life and bring blessing into our lives. In other words, sometimes God has to break a person in order to bless a person. Sometimes God's got to bring us low so he can lift us up. And we are such stubborn creatures. It's not that God wants to do this. That is not the plan of God. But it is the rescue of God. It is the grace of God. It is the undeserved favor of God that says, I'm going to have to do something in your life so you don't destroy your life. That is severe mercy. And so watch this. How low... Do you have to go before you look up? How bad does it have to get before you cry out to God for rescue? I mean, how bad's it got to get? How awful does it have to be? Jonah 2, 1 and 2, then Jonah prayed to the Lord from inside the fish. You know, you've heard about praying in the prayer closet. This isn't it. Okay? I don't think he ever ate a fish fillet sandwich again. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, interesting, from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. Here is so, something so encouraging. Even though Jonah has totally blown it, even though Jonah has disregarded God, he has denied God, he has disobeyed God, God hears him when he cries out for rescue. See, God is faithful, even though we're not always faithful. So I cried out to the Lord as God. He now recognizes, God, you're the Lord. You're the God. I've been trying to play your role. I've made a disaster of things. And I called out to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. In other words, God, I knew I was about to die. That's how low he had to go. How low 
do you have to go before you stop running from God? So he cries out to God. Reminds me of a time in my own life. I grew up with a a not-so-nice mom. She was abusive in every way you can imagine. She was a violent woman and an angry woman. She was a brutal alcoholic. And she made life miserable for me and my brother and sisters. I became a Christian as a young teenager. I shared Christ with her a couple times. She mocked me, ridiculed me, didn't want to hear about it. A few years later, I sent her a Bible, a very kind of modern, simple Bible, because she only went to the ninth grade and she couldn't read very well. But nothing that for year after year after year, six years later, I get this phone call, I'm at graduate school, and my mom says to me, Dave, I've been reading this Bible, I about fell over, and she says, I'm reading this passage where Jesus says, you have to die to yourself in order to live. She's reading Matthew 10, 39. If you cling to your life, if you gotta control the timing, if you gotta decide the plan, if you cling to your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you give your life up for me, Jesus is speaking here, you will find it. I said, well, mom, what Jesus is saying is, As long as you keep running your life, you're going to destroy your life. As long as you keep trying to be in control, instead of letting Jesus control your life, you're going to have a wasted life. But if you'll give your life to Christ and let him be God, let him be the Lord, let him guide your life, then he can give you a beautiful life. And to my shock, she said, well, I want that now. And so we prayed and she became a Christian. She got cancer a month later and died three months after that. How many of you are still trying to play God of your own life? Running the show? Calling the shots? Following God when it's comfortable and when you like what he's doing, but maybe detaching when you don't, drifting when you don't? That's a recipe for a miserable life. See, here's what we learned from Jonah. The best life you will ever live is the life God has for you. That's the best life. He loves you. He created you in love. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. It is to follow him, acknowledge him, let him guide you, let him shape you, let him direct you. And and, and I'm not saying that you won't suffer sometimes. Jesus said, life has suffering. But only God can take that suffering we learn in Romans 8, 28, and turn it into good. Only God can take even our grossest mistakes and turn it into good. Now watch what happens. I think this is just so marvelous here. Jonah ends up saying, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. So God rescued him from the fish, and God spared his life, and I will fulfill my vows. In other words, I'm gonna go to Nineveh. I'm going to do what you asked me to do, for my salvation comes from God alone. God, I get it now. I can't save myself. I can't guide my life. I can't be the God of my life. 
you are my God. You are going to direct me. You are going to guide me. And guess what? He goes to Nineveh. They don't kill him. This is one of the great stories we should talk about more in the Bible. As a matter of fact, many in Nineveh turn their hearts to God. This is unbelievable. See, if you trust God, I'm going to tell you a few things. It's going to scare the daylights out of you. Because he's going to ask you to go on an adventure that's scary. So there are going to be times you're going to be like, got me? No, God! If you trust God, he is going to ask you to tell people about Jesus. But don't worry, he also promises to be with you the whole time, to open the doors and give you the words. You just need to show up. If you follow God, there's going to be some times you're going, God, I don't get this timing. But listen, I'm older than some of you. And I'll tell you what, I look back, God's timing was always perfect. I just didn't think it was at the time. You see, one of the main reasons you're here is to help people pursue God. And when we do that, it's amazing what can happen. I, I, I want to show you a, a video of some, some friends that go to Alpine Logan campus. And I want you to see their story. It's an awesome story. That's a yay God right there, right? Yeah, you can clap. Go right ahead. You see, there's two real reasons why we're here on the earth. Number one, God who didn't need us. See, you have to understand God. God is self-sufficient in himself. In other words, God isn't lacking anything. God doesn't need anything. He has everything he needs for joy and pleasure in himself. But this God says, I want to share my love and I want to share my joy. So he creates us out of his goodness and his kindness. But then this God says, because I've given this to you, I want you to give it to others. And I'm going to help you through my Holy Spirit and through my word and through relationship. So you pursue me, and then I want you to help others pursue me. And that's what we're doing the Legacy Project. We're doing it for this Syracuse campus that I just got back from teaching and they are so excited and they're overwhelmed that the rest of our campuses would contribute because here's what we know. We know there's over 30,000 people in Syracuse and they're the only church service right now, evangelical church service. That is just unheard of in America. And, and so we want to see hundreds and thousands of people Come to know Jesus. And here's why our friend's testimony mattered from Logan. Because people matter to God. Because people should matter to us. Because eternity matters to God. Now, I, I don't know what we're going to do in heaven. Really, I really don't. But here's what I kind of think. I kind of hope happens. But again, this isn't in the Bible. This is just kind of what I'm thinking. I'm kind of thinking we're going to get to heaven. The first thing I know I'm going to do, I'm going to be prostrate on the ground, sobbing with tears of gratefulness that this Jesus died for all of my shame and sin and guilt. You know, there's that song, some will stand, some will sing, and some will, I'll be prostrate, there is no doubt in my mind, because this great God has forgiven me of so much. But then I'm like, we got a lot of time. I've heard eternities long, right? So I'm thinking, what would it be like? You know, if I have time, I'm going to go to Beth, who was a junior in high school and I was a sophomore, 
And she said, she had enough courage to say, do you want to go to this meeting? And I go to this meeting and I hear about Jesus. Now I went to church a long time, but at my church, we didn't hear much about Jesus. And then I'm going to thank Denny, this man that befriended a kid that didn't have a dad. And, and, and I'm going to thank him. And then I'm going to thank this person who gave a scholarship so that a kid like me could go to a camp and at that camp is where I accepted Christ because someone gave some money so that I could hear about Jesus? And then I'm going to thank all the people that honestly loved me when I wasn't very lovable, that forgave me when I didn't deserve forgiveness. And, and, and you know what? I, I think you might want to do stuff like that too. See, I was telling my wife as I was preparing this yesterday, you know, there's some things that we do on the earth we'll do in heaven. Like one of the things that we do on the earth is serve the Lord. And, and, and I think God just uses the earth to prepare us because we're going to serve the Lord forever in heaven. So, so if you're not serving the Lord now, you better start serving the Lord because he's going to have you do that forever. But it's going to be a joyous serving all the time. But a couple of things we get to do on earth we're never going to do again. One of those is tell people about Jesus. Do you know it's just your little lifespan is the only opportunity you will ever have to tell people about Jesus. And the other thing is do what Jesus said, store your treasures in heaven. See, the truth is you brought no money into the world. You're not gonna bring any money out of the world either. So we have this limited time, Jesus says, invest so that more people can end up in the kingdom. Store your treasures in heaven. What he's saying is give money so more people can be in heaven. Give more treasures because eternity matters. And so we get this great opportunity next Sunday. All of our campuses on November 10th, next Sunday, are gonna give each person we're asking at Alpine to give a one-time sacrificial gift above our normal giving. My wife and I, we gave it early. We gave it last week. But I just wanna encourage you to make this a sacrifice, to make it substantial, to make it cost you something. And we're not building the building because, hey, buildings are cool. We're building the building because we know in our state, people really respect churches that have buildings. And so the building won't be the victory. The building is the tool that helps us help more people pursue God. And I like what Brian says about this. He says there's some good news and some bad news. The good news is we have enough money in this room to meet this need. The bad news, it's in your pocket. I like that. So I want to challenge you. I really do. I'm not going to shy back from this. I'm not. The best investment with your money you will ever make is so that people can meet Jesus. So I'm not, I'm not backing down one bit. We don't talk about money a lot at Alpine, and we don't want to, but I'm going to talk about this, and I want to challenge you to give to God at levels you've never given to him before and see how faithful God is. I want to challenge you to truly sacrifice, to do it joyfully. The Bible says be a joyful giver so more people can meet Jesus. And then the Syracuse campus, they're going to have that one-day thing, and then they're going to do a three-year commitment. And I just talked to them about that. They're going to give this one-time gift, and then they're making three-year commitments. And that's what this legacy card project thing is. You're going to put your name there. You're going to put your gift, your phone, and your email, and you're going to do this next week. And then we're going to tell you what God did. And I'm going to tell you one last thing, and then I'm going to pray. You will never regret giving to God. 
Okay. You know, life has lots of regrets. I have lots of regrets. But the one thing I have never regretted ever is giving to God so that more people can end up in heaven. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you that you're the ultimate giver. Thank you that everything we have, our apartment, our house, our car, our bike, our food. God, in the book of James, it says all of that stuff comes first from you. That you're such a generous God. And God, I also want to thank you that you give more than material things. That you gave your son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for all of our embarrassment, all of our regrets, all of our sin, all of our ugliness, all of our shame and guilt. You gave your son for us. You gave the most precious thing so that we could receive forgiveness, so that we could spend eternity with you. So out of gratitude for all of your giving, God, may we give back joyfully and sacrificially and faithfully to you. And one last thing, God, for anybody who's been running from you, whether they've ran away lately or maybe they've been gone for a while. I pray if that's you, it's not too late to come home. God actually does love you. He actually has a better plan than you do. He has the power to accomplish the plan. And his timing will be perfect. It'll be impeccable. So come home. Surrender. Cry out to him. Tell somebody. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.